0: E-S-N-Y. 27th a couple of days before the nba draft um right on our heels everyone is very excited i've been able to cover a couple of different prospects Um, thus far i've been lucky to talk to you know some people who write for various sites as well as some assistant coaches here and there a prospect that i've been very interested in is uh josh giddy a really really talented playmaker who plays for uh in within the nba nbl and the Adelaide 36ers and to help me break down his game uh, I'm very pumped to be talking with Lachlan Everett, a very talented writer who writes for Hoops Abbott. Lachlan's been with us before how you doing man how's everything going?
1: Yeah good mate it's um finally draft time I have the burden of my uh, thesis on Giddy finally out so it feels good to get that done and now we can move on to literally everything within two months.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm sure that's a, that's an interesting time crunch for sure. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm I'm very uh, interested to talk Giddy for sure. Just a couple things before we get started on him. Just a couple of kind of notes on him. Uh, again, really talented. You know, six nine, six eight, depending on who you who you kind of hear it from. Among really the best playmakers in the class. Turns 19 in October. Led the NBL this past season in assists. Won Rookie of the Year. field goal percentage, 29% 3.69 from the strike. Um, I like the kid's pedigree. I was doing a little background uh, info on him, and his mom played professionally. His sister apparently plays within the States at Oral Roberts. I guess the first place I just want to start is um, just real general question. When you started watching Josh Giddey, and I, I know we spoke last year about um, Lamello specifically but you may have known about Josh for quite some time because I know he's been in the professional circuit you know since he's been 16 years old what stands out about his game what do you like from him when you're watching when you're watching him play
1: it's the given it's the passing that um six foot eight six foot nine playmakers don't grow on trees and that's been reflected in the mock drafts that's been reflected in everyone I've spoken to it's you can get a point guard, but when you get, as we saw with Chris Paul, yes, you can be an excellent passer, but size matters in the playoffs. So you're going to get punished when you're getting pushed up the court, you're going to get punished on contests. And as good as you can be, you can't fix height. But that's something um, John Hollinger said, um, I believe it was with no dunks during the last draft process that GMS and teams feel comfortable fixing shooting and defense, which are two of giddy's limitations, but you can't fix height, and you can't teach feel and IQ. So that's the old like it's, he's got the basis of what every draft prospect is desirable to have.
0: When and when we're talking about the playmaking, um, and his vision is, is definitely elite. Uh, I think you can see he's got almost every live dribble pass that you want in the book can navigate navigate screens really well can pass in in transition and of course in the half court setting ultimately do you see giddy as a long-term point guard in this lead or more of a secondary ball handler who can create
1: i think it depends on where he lands and how that develops that i think for example we've seen the grizzlies get some buzz after trading up to number 10 and in that situation, you're the secondary playmaker next to the um, Morant, where that's sort of what Kyle Anderson has been doing with Morant. And that would work in the sense, but if you're on a different team, um, off the top of my head, hypothetically, let's say Chicago that desperately needs a point guard next to Levine and Vooch, that he can easily take the full, bring it up full court, run the pick and roll responsibilities, the lead guard. And I think that at the start of his career he's either depending where he lands it's either going to be the secondary playmaker or he's going to be the lead guard off the bench and he could be the secondary playmaker off the bench where if they have like a good six man or someone who's a good player let's say the paces with tj mcconnell like he would be the secondary to tj but it's depending where he is but long term hypothetically if he's the point guard that's fine but if he's the second guy let's say like joe ingles with the jazz that he's not primary ball handler but he's sort of the primary pick and roll option other than conley i feel like that's it depends on his growth as well as his situation but i would feel comfortable in five years having him bring up the ball every possession
0: and and lachlan you mentioned his growth and i'm sure a big part of that will and it's a big swing skill for him it'll be whether the shot comes around or not um that's going to be a big issue for a, a couple of different players in this draft um, obviously, the the numbers from three point and, and from the free throw line weren't great, but I did read your article. I know that in the middle of the season, um, it seemed that he seemed to pick up confidence and, and was hitting things a little bit more consistently. If you had to bet, right? If if you're the GM in a situation, are you willing to bet that the shot is going to come around? And even if it doesn't, do you feel confident that again, um, six nine playmakers like him just don't grow on trees? I'm okay if the shot if he's maybe a little bit below league average in shooting, he'll still have a positive impact on the team. How do you feel about that?
1: I think the shooting shooting is both underrated and overrated in the sense of draft prospects that, for example, Lonzo Ball couldn't hit the side of the backboard when he entered the league from three, but now he's a, up to 39% two years consistently, and that's bordering on a late percentage-wise, but you still don't consider him a late shooter, I think. The percentages don't suggest it, but I asked Connor Henry, the Adelaide 36ers coach, that we both agreed. The eye test suggested it was completely different towards the middle and the end of the season. His shot confidence went through the roof and it felt like it was going more in. Some of the percentages swayed because of the shot selection that he would often take the catch and shoot off a contest because it was late in the shot clock. So the percentages do hurt in that factor. But I believe that if you get i think i wrote that if you get him to like 35% on like 6 attempts a game that's a really good benchmark because he's never he's never going to be running off screens or anything like a JJ Redick but he's always going to be a catch and shoot threat because they're going to drive and kick off giddy and until he builds that rep- reputation that he's going to be left open if he gets that catch and shoot going and because the NBL C NBL it doesn't have the great Statistics like it does in the NBA with tracking data. We don't really know the catch and shoot data, but it felt comfortable like watching it. He felt comfortable shooting that. And I think when you get later in your career, you're going to have good development. You're going to have good teachers who teach you how to shoot. And during the offseason, Giddy had Andrew Gaze, who's one of Australia's great male, the greatest male basketball player. He averaged 20 in five different Olympics. And if you're going to learn shooting, it's probably going to be from Andrew Gaze. And it's a pretty good tentpole to start with so you get to a point where you look at it on paper and you go yikes 29 percent but then you look into it and go well Jay Crowder's not an elite shooter but he's above league average and you you factor in that within the idea of three-point shooting itself Giddy is a role player in that sense he's not going to be creating for himself he did that in the middle of the season but I don't envision him getting an isolation unassisted three so I think in that sense you have to consider it's going to start off shaky but if you can get to like 34% by his third year or like 35% by his third year that's well like that's fine considering everything else he brings to the table
0: I think that's a really good point and I think especially if you're going to take someone who is as young as he is right I mean again he doesn't turn 19 until October to have some type of Two to three year plan with some benchmarks, even um, kind of in there. Like you said, if you can get to thirty four percent by your third year, as a Knicks fan, and I'm sure um, you know. Listen, RJ Barrett, second year, love love his his three point trajectory, and and you know who knows uh, if that will continue to rise, but um, it does happen in the NBA. It's not that it's not a um, you know it's it's not like a foregone conclusion that if you can't shoot. Uh, you won't be able to. Uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about in terms of his strengths, I was really surprised to see because I know in watching the tape, you know, his athleticism doesn't listen. It doesn't really jump out at you on the tape, but he does get to where he wants to go. Um, and I know in reading about him, he's put on some weight in the past couple of years, which shows a commitment. He finished at the rim really well. I, I think I saw it was like sixty four percent or something like that. is Is that something that you think, he can do at the league um do you think he maybe not at that at high of a clip but do you think he'll still be able um to kind of maneuver you know the, the different talent level to be able to finish at the rim
1: I think it comes down to the dribbling itself that his handle is not something you are in awe of but he can get to his spots relatively well I likened it to Kyle Anderson so it's you look at Kyle Anderson and he does a euro from like a foot outside the free throw line. You go, there is no way he is getting to the ring, and then he does a one eighty octopus left hand layup, and you go, oh, we just let Kyle Anderson score on a fast break. <laughs> it's there's like plays that stick in my head that on the fast break Giddy would be looking right to left for a pass, and then he would stop on a dime and just hit the mid, and it just go, ah. Oh, he made his assessment. There was no pass. He, they were assuming the pass, and he's just dropped on a dime and made the mid-range. So he's – I think his brain is like four steps ahead of his actual foot. Mm. So he's he's worked on that lateral movement with Daryl McDonald, who's an NBL legend and was born from the Rucker Park system that he's going to be able to get to wherever he is, and he's worked with him in the offseason, but it's more – I think deceptive athleticism is the term that people use for yeah. slow white guys, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's, it's that once he gets ahead of steam, there, there's really no issues. Like you can watch the fast break, like when he gets onto the fast break, he'll take it off the glass. He'll make an assessment and then he'll trickle up to the half court and then bang, straight down the baseline, straight around the defender. And he's getting straight to the ring. He's, He's been able to finish, and you probably saw the clip where he dunked it, hanged on it, and then fell and landed on his lip. And he had like this fat lip, and it's like no one saw that coming. Giddy didn't even see that coming. That's why he felt like right. he's right. gonna be able to unleash. Getting to the ring, it's gonna be harder against NBA athleticism, obviously. But that's the the two key things I would assume would be the length that of six nine. You're gonna be able to get there despite. Some at limitations against smaller defenders and the smarts that he's going to be able to lull the defender into sleep and then make his move and hopefully use a screen correctly to get there. And obviously, we've seen that he didn't get to the free throw line that much, mm-hmm. but he's got the size, smart size, and feel to create fouls. And I'd like to see that more often in the essence of getting to the ring.
0: Yeah. I, and I, I definitely remember that video for sure. uh Definitely stood out to me. Um, one of the things, Lachlan, in, in terms of his playmaking, right, because I feel like this happens almost every year with the draft. Um, you know, maybe it was kind of Killian Hayes uh, last year. Well, definitely LaMelo. Um, but there, there will be playmakers. And I wonder sometimes how to compare someone's elite vision from 2018 to someone's elite vision and playmaking from 2020, right? Like there's always a couple of players that get this – tag along with them. And this year, it seems to be that Sharif Cooper and Giddy are are at the top of of this draft class. So I wanted to try this with you. Um, It's just kind of like a very random exercise, but I wanted to give you five names. And I kind of wanted to see where you would rank Giddy's passing. And I'm going to go with uh, LaMelo, Killian Hayes, Ja Morant, Luca, and Trey Young um within that group where do you think giddy giddy ranks just just based off the eye test just based off you know what you kind of see
1: so lamello hayes moran and who were the other two luca and trey young um all right so in that sense luca and trey immediately above him no questions asked i think that something I've brought up is a limitation of his playmaking, which isn't necessarily a limit of his playmaking, but it's a limitation that he doesn't have the threat to score like other playmakers do. So Chris Paul, you're horrified that he's going to get to the mid range and make his mid range. So you're going to overreact and that opens passes. I think Giddy does not have that leverage. So immediately you put Luca and Trey above him. I think, um, Moran is a really good playmaker that especially mostly uses it in the pick and roll action and off his athleticism yeah so i think functionally morant is a better playmaker but i think giddy is the more diverse and better feel playmaker i don't want to say smarter but
0: no I know he's, yeah
1: he's Within the pick and roll, I feel like Morant has more options and has been more successful and more efficient, but I feel like Giddy has a variety in his playmaking that Morant doesn't. So I'd, I'd put Morant above in that sense, but it's that sort of divide that you can choose. Um, Lamello, I think, again, Lamello is excellent in creating something out of nothing, and the the more creative give me something. It's late in the shot clock. I have no idea what the play is. He will make something out of nothing nine times out of 10. And that's the, that's what you want in like a super high draft prospect that they are going to change the game when the coach can't fix it. So I think as well as again, the functional stuff that Giddy does more of the functional things, but LaMelo has a flair and a unexpectedness to it. So I'd I'd consider LaMelo higher, but I think, if you're looking to pass um, assist to turnover ratio i think giddy will be higher because he's not going to take as many risks which is a benefit or a liability depending on how you look at it from a coach's perspective you'd want the higher playmaking to assist um, turnover ratio and then i don't know hayes amazingly well because he was injured most of the year and then True. as we know it's hard to evaluate overseas leagues if you're not a specialist in it, and I'm not a specialist over in Europe. So I did do my due diligence, but I don't know where to put him. So I'd, I think I would tie him somewhere between Lamello and Morant, possibly just under Lamello, or you might have Lamello above Morant and then Giddy. But I think Lucre and Trey are in their own tier, yeah. and those three guys are sort of, interchangeably close, but I think Giddy is a inch under both of them, too.
0: Yeah, but I mean, even to be, you know, kind of between LaMelo and or, or Moran, or even if you want to, um, you know, kind of flip them here and there, it speaks to the definitely the type of playmaker he can be, and and it's funny, too, because, you know, he seems like someone from the outside looking in, of course, there's going to be elements of his game that are going to take time to come around, But to be able to have an impact right away, um, just based on how he kind of processes the court and the way everyone moves on it, I think is going to be pretty amazing for a team just just on day one. Um, One thing I really wanted to ask you, and especially as someone who um, covers the team and has access to the coaching staff, I've read some reports that say that his character is elite. Um, And I wondered if there's any anecdotes or reports um examples that you've read that that can support that because I tried very hard to find little tidbits here and there and 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 stuff like that and and to be fair during the early parts of this conversation you've already said well he's worked with this guy he's worked with that guy he's put on some weight he's clearly committed right um but I'm wondering if there's anything else that you can offer in the way of that
1: um there was a feature today that literally came out today and I was reading it before this, but it was too long to finish, but I'll see who it's from. Um, Bill DeFilippo, who writes for Uprock Sports, I got halfway through it, but it talked about how Giddy at like 17 was mowing lawns in Melbourne just to make heck of a cash.
0: Really? And it's, just,
1: wow. it's just the little stuff that you find going, ah, oh, crap, he really wanted money because he loves shoes. He's an
0: absolute. an absolute right?
1: sneakerhead, wow. and he was saving up money so he could buy more shoes. <laughs> so, on like Instagram, that he's got this whole rack of shoes back in Melbourne, and then I texted his dad Warwickitty, who played with the Melbourne Tigers, and I asked him how many shoes did he take, and he said too many. Wow! <laughs> so that's just an anecdote of like his love of shoes, which translates to his basketball. But I've got this quote left over on the cutting floor um from Daryl McDonald. The thing is with him his work ethic is crazy. He loved training and working on his game. In the mornings he would lift weights and practice shooting with Andrew Gaze. And then at night he would work on his handle with um Daryl McDonald. And then wow. I've got like it was just all the little things that you heard like I think wait I can get it up again. There's a um his coach Connor Henry told me that they scouted him in the um basketball without borders camp in um in Europe or the USA one or the other and they were like oh he's cool we'll see how he is he might be a development player and then when Connor Henry spoke to me he said like he rocked up to Adelaide after quarantine and was two inches taller 15 kilos heavier and he got into like preseason as like the backup point guard, and by the end of preseason, he was starting as the lead point guard, no questions asked. And throughout the season, he just kept working and working. And there's all these little anecdotes you could use, but I think it's more a testament of he went from 48, I believe, on ESPN's top 100 in the preseason or a month before preseason. And as of now, the highest I've seen him is seven.
0: Yeah, I I mean, um, you know, the other thing, it, it kind of dovetails with what you're saying about him, too, from a work ethic standpoint, or just from a love of basketball standpoint, like, and and this could go either way. So it's not necessarily a, a huge positive or negative, but I'm sure there's a lot of guys in Giddy's situation who would not have played in the Olympics this summer, you know, just because uh, of whether, oh, draft is coming or, or, or whatever, or I, I don't want to take the chance of getting hurt whether it's, you know, uh, just love of country, um, you know, I, I just love ball that much. I think that's pretty impressive that that he is willing to put um, body on the line, no shade to, to anyone who isn't. But, um, you know, I, I think that is pretty interesting. And, and certainly something that I, I think what you what the message is, is what you're getting with Giddy when he comes into your clubhouse, is that he's absolutely committed. Like he loves this game. Yeah. And he's, every waking moment it seems like he's thinking about a way to get better
1: and that's with the olympics that um we saw with ben simmons in 2016 the coach andre lomanis was tough on him and really pushed him to be better but then ended up not making the cut and that was the Rio olympic team that was 11 seconds away from a bronze medal against spain before a awkward foul and spain get the free throws but that has translated over to giddy that he prematurely ended his season in the nbl not as much as lamello but he he stopped playing maybe the last four or three games after adelaide were no longer in contention he stayed there until it was statistically impossible for adelaide to make the playoffs for in the nbl so after that that's when he worked on his offseason. then he went over to vegas and practiced with the boomers and got all the way To the very last scrimmage before being cut and then he didn't make the tokyo run and wasn't they they haven't got an injury replacement player with them and then he showed in that vegas game 14 4 and 4 something like that um against nigeria in that vegas scrimmage so then all the executives saw it in person so that solidified their opinions but yeah it's yeah there's definitely some american prospects there's definitely who on canadian prospects even that wouldn't risk going to tokyo wouldn't risk going into those scrimmages but um josh is absolutely all about playing for australia and he's absolutely about playing basketball and that probably comes a little bit from where he comes from that excuse me um his dad played in the nbl for donkey's years that he was one of the best role players the tigers ever had and then more or less andrew gaze is his uncle that warwick Warwick has been teammates with Andrew Gaze in like their entire career. And then Andrew Gaze grew up with him and Andrew Gaze, one of the straight greatest basketball players from Australia ever. So there's this, imagine growing up and all of your dad's best mates are the greatest Australians of that generation. So you, there is some appeal to being a part of that program and carrying on the legacy of what you want to do. And I think that's, it's cool considering, you know, Ben Simmons hasn't been able to suit up for the Boomers yet properly.
0: And, and listen, I like that. And, I, you know, I know there's some people who maybe value that a little bit more and some that don't. But honestly, that's kind of one of the reasons I really liked RJ Barrett um, a couple of years ago as well. I love the fact that, you know, his dad pr- played professionally and and um, obviously for Canada as well. And I think the reason it matters to me is because um, whatever level it is, he's had and is getting experience at a professional level, whether it's just from an exposure standpoint or actually playing since he's been a really, really young kid. So for me, he's not a normal 18 year old, right? So like, I don't see this kid, you know, of course, he's going to be uh, nervous and maybe a little bit jittery, like the first time on an NBA court with a packed house, but at the end of the day, like he's been around this and this is what he's wanted to do and been kind of groomed to do for a really long time. So I, I feel like anyone scouting him or anyone kind of like uh, just evaluating him, that's probably got to be a pretty big high selling point, I would say.
1: Yeah, it's, um well, as you can imagine that it's, uh, the example that comes to mind is Greg Oden and Kevin Durant that. Greg Oden said he wanted to be a doctor. Greg Oden was an excellent basketball player when he played, but he, the mindset wasn't there to be excellent. And Kevin Durant had nothing throughout his career. He's been on Twitter spaces while practicing with TBSA, talking about basketball. That just shows how much of a junkie he is. And that's, you're not getting Kevin Durant, but you're getting someone whose whole life is about basketball and that sort of makes it up for the limitations that he might have because you consider well if he's having limitations and he doesn't have the mindset to fix it you might get a broken asset but there's you're not going to get a bad mindset at all it's always going to be he's said he's happy to play in the g league to develop like it's all you're getting all the breadcrumbs of someone who's in it for the long haul
0: um, a couple of more Lachlan before we wrap up, but I definitely want to touch on on his defense for sure. Um, any most of the reports that I've read, you know, uh, they say that it's not great for the most part. Um, I guess the way I would want to try and structure the conversation around his defense is um, navigating pick and roll coverage, keeping someone in front of him. What are the things that he struggles with most? Um, we know that the athleticism isn't great, so lateral quickness may be an issue. Um, where can he? If you're a team that's concerned about the defense drafting him, where can he improve, and where is it he just going to have difficulty with no matter what?
1: Yeah, I um, I sort of that was my bigger. If I if I had to pick out of the two that I was more concerned about with shooting or defense, it would be defense that. You obviously lack athleticism gives you a margin of error to m- make the distance up on a mistake and you're not going to have that margin of error with giddy as much and i think that depending on how what situations you put him in he's going to struggle to defend that well and i asked connor henry that what it was his biggest issue defensively and connor said um excuse me um that he can defend one-on-one well He can handle one pick and roll really well. He can slide his feet. He can stay with his man. He can contest them. He can keep an hand on them. The issue is when you make two or three or four defensive decisions within a possession, and that's where you get lapses. That's where you get an open man left open. That's where a pick and roll goes badly. If you have to make multiple decisions. If you think about a Spain pick and roll and you're the lead defender, you've got your first guy coming up then you have to navigate that screen and then that guy cuts and then you've got the second screen coming and then your original man is now on that pick and roll. So within two seconds of a Spain pick and roll, you've had to navigate one screen, see where your original man is and then see where that man has gotten another screen. And within four seconds of the first play of a Spain pick and roll. So those are the, like I remember in the like, clips I did to demonstrate it, that there are situations where he would follow his man, he would be fine, he would reset, then they would get a screen and he would reset and he would get a screen again. And then there's a wide open layup. Mm. So within an education of an NBA defense, he's going to get that drilled into him. He's going to learn how to navigate those screens according to the coach's philosophy. But until we see him get, proper nba defense education there are going to be moments where there are just absolute defensive lapses because there are repeated actions that he can't follow up with either because of foot speed or getting caught on a screen which he was often prone to do because the skinny frame frame and he just got caught like with an arm and then as you can imagine six foot ten aussies Just imagine a bunch of Aaron Baines's setting screens. That's basically how we had to live in the NBL, and it was just
0: that's tough. That is tough. Um, Well, listen, I I, we need some of those guys. I I feel like screen setting is is unfortunately a lost art sometimes in the NBA. But um, if if you hit that screen the wrong way, you could be on the floor pretty quickly. Um, Uh,
1: Kind of ocean oceana brother stephen adams <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll flatten you if you're not looking properly
0: who is now a memphis grizzly so I, i'm very interested to see how that that works out i'm sure John ja Morant will very much enjoy uh calling him to set a screen for him um, yeah
1: I'd go from jonas valetunas to stephen adams that's um not a bad
0: pick and roll transition not a, not at all not at all um Lachlan, last one. I, 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 you mentioned Chicago a little bit earlier in this podcast. So, what are the fits that you like for Giddy? Ultimately, where do you think he'll get drafted? Where do you want him to get drafted? Basically, it's, it's just you know where you think he'll get drafted. What do you think is the best fit for his development?
1: Well, we get up the draft board, and the NBA website has not updated the Grizzlies pick, so that's fine. there has been murmuring about Toronto taking him at four because they've had such a vested interest. They sent a scout down. They sent their global director of scouting down to Australia for two games to watch in Sydney. And Messiah Giri has been at every um, Vegas scrimmage that happened just before the Olympics. But I think that sucks, and I don't think uh, the Raptors would reach that high. If they are desperate for him, they will trade down or try and get him later. But that's the highest I've seen, but he would be a good fit, Toronto, but that's beside the point. Um, when you get to, it's sort of that thing where he's obviously not a top five prospect, but then when you get to pot picks five, six, seven, they're all bad fits. Like the Magic have three ball handlers. I wouldn't call them elite playmakers in Hampton and Cole and Faults. Yeah. but they are still ball handlers. And um, Giddy averaged the highest of assists in the league on the fourth highest usage with the 36ers so he obviously doesn't need the ball every possession but if you have four young guards who need the ball i feel like that's a bad fit right um the warriors would be an excellent fit they are my number one team fit wise because you get a steve kerr offense that loves long tall playmakers and um andrew Andrew Gaze has obviously praised him to the Warriors. Um, Andrew Bogut has said the same. They've asked. They've, Bogut has said that the Warriors have asked him about Giddy. And Luke Longley has, um, according to a recent NBA AU video, that Longley said every week he calls Steve Kerr and says, "Do not miss on this guy. <laughs> trust really. me." Okay. So you've got two of. Two seven-foot Australians telling you to take him, so we'll see what happens. But I don't see him falling to 14 either, so there could be a bit of an issue there. Um Again, the Magic at eight. The Kings at nine. I think that you have Fox and Halliburton. I think Giddy could be an awesome, like, three, the third playmaker on that team but again I just don't see yeah that's that exactly because you're playing at three or four and I think that's where he's going to be playing defensively but I don't trust him to be able to defend the post up um right. then you get to Memphis uh, there's been a lot of uh, Moses Moody about that but I think Giddy would fit really well with the Grizzlies because you get Morant a second ball handler right. who's basically your replacement for Kyle Anderson as I've said and you just get another guy to take the burden off Morant, but is also really smart and will cut for Morant. Um, Charlotte again, same issue with Lamelo that you have an excellent ball handler, you don't want to overcrowd it, and then you get to Spurs and Paces, and that's if he gets to twelve or thirteen, he gets taken there, no questions asked. Yeah. I think he's the definition of a Spurs player, a young person who plays like an old person. A, tall white guy that can play make that's that's a spurs player and again andrew gaze is a spurs alumni so you have that connection um also patty patty would recommend him even if like patty will be a free agent we don't know if he'll be there but patty will give the approval um and then the paces i think i wrote in my piece that between the spurs and paces they're both but in um nba hell they're not good enough to contend they're not bad enough to get a good lottery pick right and giddy supports both of those situations if you're going to tank you have give him the ball and he's going to play make and be a very you know promising prospect but if you're trying to win he's going to be excellent off the bench and playmaking
0: mm.
1: so you get that too and then 14 is the warriors and he doesn't go past warriors at 14 so out of all that i think the warriors grizzlies paces Warriors I mean paces Spurs and then Toronto if they're either delusional or they trade
0: down (laughs) it's funny too because I know that the Knicks have been trying to at least I've read one report that that they tried to move up to 14 um by offering 19 and 21 but the Warriors were unwilling to part with that maybe in some way that could be some type of backup insurance for the Warriors to say if there's somebody they like more than Giddy earlier to take him there and then hopefully giddy drops to 14 but you know what interestingly enough i don't know man i don't think he makes it past 12. i, I think t- around yeah. 10 or 12 is really the well mark. the
1: warriors have that um they have the swing pick they have let's take the best available pick and then they have 14 whoever's less let's take a swing on him and right. if the pace is taking him at 13 maybe the warriors could do 14 and um not Jordan Paul, who's the other shooting guard on their team that I can't remember off the top of my head. The, um, God, I should know this. Warriors. Wait, which,
0: which team is it?
1: Warriors. The not Jordan Paul, the other Damian Lee. Like,
0: oh, okay, okay, yeah. Something
1: like that, you know, young player plus the yeah. pick, maybe a second rounder, who knows. But I think that. Yeah. In I can't remember the team that had the last chance to do that that you had the high pick to do it and then the swing pick right. but um that's that's been talked about and I think that's and I if you put it this way if the Warriors get who they want at seven and then Giddy's available at fourteen no questions asked take him straight away
0: I, I think that would be an amazing fit I would love to I he's he's I, there's probably. Uh, maybe five six seven players that i've written down that i really really want to make a concerted effort to watch next year just at least a couple games just to see how they fit in the nba and how they're kind of developing whether they're struggling or not giddy is definitely on that list um i, I love I, I think
1: I... he'll be in the g league i think okay okay i, mean, I think I... it might not be for the full season right but i think there will be a stretch where hypothetically let's say the Paces make a good run they're, f- they're fifth in the East or something like that And they're on a roll And they say okay we're on a roll We don't want to interrupt things Go down to the G League for three weeks And if we start slipping Or we start coming up again Come back and after that Three weeks of being the primary ball handler With the um Fort Wayne Ants
0: yeah, Come
1: back and then give us something new Like there's going to be moments Where I think he's in the G League Depending on the situation if he's on like the magic, they might as well just run out the G league squad on their team anyway. But yeah. depending on where he goes, he said he's happy to go into the G league. I just think that the G league is obviously something that's going to be good for him. Cause you're going to get that lead point guard experience that you're not going to get in the NBA in certain situations.
0: Well, I, I again, I, I know that we're very interested to see where he lands in addition to a bunch of these different players, um, Josh Giddy. Uh, I, again, super, super talented, very young. Um, he'll need some time with some of the the swing skills that we talked about, but there's no question that uh, I, you, you got to love some of those highlight passes that he has. Um, I, I know fans of whatever team he goes to will be very interested in that. Lachlan, before um, I let you go, you could tell all the good people where they can find your work. Um, and if there's anything you're working on now that you want to promote, please do so. Also, I forgot to ask you this last time. I may have gotten Giddy's name out of you if I did, but who is the next NBL star that we need to be on the lookout for?
1: Uh, The next NBL star. So we lost one in Dyson Daniels. He signed with the Ignite and he's the next Australian prospect that's coming into next year's draft. The next NBL prospect. There has been an avalanche of European players signing in the nbl the past two weeks okay. we had um if i can get it up melbourne united just signed a seven foot guy from germany um another ariel caporte signed here um there was a russian uh six foot eight guy who just signed i believe with new zealand off the top of my head put it this way there are um, Usman Dang whose projector is like a 20th pick for next year as of now signed with New Zealand there's a dozen young and maybe half of those guys are European who are coming into the league next year who we can watch the one guy I'm excited to see again is Mojave King who was misused in Cairns last season and because of the next stars contract it is a league contract the league pays for the contract the teams just offer to host the player quote unquote that they get the contract for free and they are due their their job is to develop them so mojave has moved from Cairns to the adelaide 36ers with connor henry who was josh's coach and they signed the starting point guard of the championship team this year so and a year under his belt he's going to be 20 going into next year so he's not old and he's gonna have another season to really test himself in the draft and that's the guy i think is the possible watch but again there is a dozen euro guys i've got on my whiteboard that i have to go frantically research
0: oh listen um' I will, we'll definitely keep an eye out and, and and a watch for those guys as well um Lachlan Everett, once again from Hoops Habit. Please, guys, if anyone is listening, give this guy a follow on Twitter. Please read his work. Super talented. Always a pleasure talking to you um, from Australia as well. And uh, best of luck to you going forward, man. Thanks, man. And uh, go, Knicks. <laughs> all right. Yes. Go, Knicks, indeed. And uh, with that said, we- I'm not
1: a Knicks fan. I've got no biases because I'm on the other side of the planet.
0: I'll just support you. No, we appreciate it. Trust me. We can use all the support we can get. Um, We hope everybody is staying safe and we will talk to you guys soon.